Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to come and worship you. Lord, we thank you that you love us with a love that is beyond anything we could comprehend. Lord, I pray for your people today. Let us have ears to hear and hearts to receive what you'd say to us. It's Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. We're in this series called Wired to Worship. I've got a question for you this morning. Are you able to worship God in the hard times? I believe this is one of the most difficult things that we will face as followers of Christ. Ten years ago this summer, I was in the midst of a very hard time in my life. It's something that turned my life upside down, a series of events. To be frank with you, my life has never been the same since. And in preparing for this message and thinking about this message, my mind wandered back to those ten years ago. And I thought, Lord, the only way I made it, the only way I could speak today to your people is to know the love of God that saved me and brought me through that. You see, most of us find it easier to worship God when the bills are paid, when our children are in good health, when we get a promotion at work, when our marriages are growing and full of love. It does seem easier to worship God when life is good. But again, what about the times that are hard, that come crashing down on you? A minister was making a wooden trellis in his backyard to support some growing vines. He was pounding away with his hammer. He noticed a little neighborhood boy was intently watching him work. And after a while, the preacher said, are you trying to learn some gardening tips? No, the boy replied. He said, I'm just waiting to hear what a preacher says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. (laughs) I'd like to hear that too. (laughs) How would the preacher respond to the pain? How would he handle the hurt? See, the world is a lot like that little boy. It watches to see how Christians act when faced with the hard times of suffering, hurt, and pain. One of the most amazing stories of the Bible will help us get some perspective on worshiping God in the hard times. You've all heard this story. It's the story of the Old Testament character Job. And I want you to listen to it. It's found in Job chapter 1 as David And Jeremy, read it to you out of the message translation. Job was a man who lived in Uz. He was honest inside and out. A man of his word who was totally devoted to God and hated evil with a passion. He had seven sons and three daughters. He was also very wealthy, 7,000 head of sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 donkeys, 
and a huge staff of servants, the most influential man in all of the East. His sons used to take turns hosting parties at their homes, always inviting their three sisters to join them in the merrymaking. When the parties were over, Job would get up early in the morning and sacrifice a burnt offering for each of his children, thinking, maybe one of them have sinned inwardly, defying God. Job made a habit of this sacrificial atonement just in case they'd sinned. One day, when the angels came to report to God, Satan, who was the designated accuser, came along with them. God singled him out and said, What have you been up to? Satan answered God, Going here and there, checking things out on earth. God said to Satan, Have you noticed my friend Job? There is no one quite like him, honest and true to his word, totally devoted to God and hating evil. Satan retorted, Do you think Job does all these things strictly out of the sheer goodness of his heart? Why, no one ever had it so good. You pamper him like a pet, make sure nothing bad ever happens to him or his family or his possessions. Why, you bless everything he does. What do you think would happen if you reached down and took away everything that was his? He'd curse you to your face. That's what would happen. God replied, we'll see. Go ahead. Do what you want with all that is his. Just don't hurt him. Then Satan left the presence of God. Sometime later, while Job's children were having one of their parties at the home of the oldest son, a messenger came from Job and said, The oxen were plowing. And the donkeys grazing in the field next to us, when Sabians attacked, they stole all the animals and killed the field hands. I was the only one to make it out and tell you what happened. While he was still talking, another messenger arrived and said, Bolts of lightning struck the sheep and the shepherds and fried them, burnt them to a crisp. I'm the only one to make it out alive to tell you what happened. While he was still talking, another messenger arrived and said, Chaldeans coming from three directions raided the camels and killed the camel drivers. I'm the only one to make it out alive to tell you what happened. While he was still talking, Another messenger arrived and said, Your children were having a party at the home of the oldest brother when a tornado swept in off the desert and struck the house. It collapsed on the young people, and they died. I'm the only one to make it out alive to tell you what happened. Job got to his feet, ripped his robe, shaved his head, then fell to the ground and worshipped, naked 
I came from my mother's womb. Naked, I'll return to the earth. God gives, God takes. God's name be ever blessed. Not once through all this did Job, Job sin and blame God. You know, I've read this story many times, and it still just kind of stops me in my tracks. Job was a real person. Yes, he lived a long time ago, but he was just as real as you and me. And he faced what may be the greatest loss of anyone. He was the wealthiest man in the world. He was known as the Bill Gates of his age. And in just one day, he lost all of his children. He lost his business. He lost his career. He lost his wealth. All of it gone. And frankly, it's more than probably we can comprehend. But it happened to Job. And what did Job do? The Bible says Job got to his feet, ripped his robe, shaved his head, then fell to the ground in worship. Ripping his robe, shaving his beard, acts of, of utter agony and sorrow. How do you do that? How do you worship God in such tragedy? How do you connect with God and worship Him in the hard times of life? Well, from Job, we can learn five things that will help us when we face the hard times of life. Number one, tell God how you feel. On January 2nd, 2006, there was an explosion in a coal mine in Sago, West Virginia. Thirteen coal miners were trapped 280 feet below ground. If you remember the story, it was originally reported by the news outlets and reported to the families that 12 of the 13 had been found alive. Later, the families learned that only, in fact, one had been found alive. So after such an emotional roller coaster, one of the relatives said this in an interview. He said, we're good Christians. We've been praying for their survival. And now we don't even know if there is a God. I hope all of us realize that God can take whatever we tell him. He can handle our doubt, our anger, our fear, our confusion, our grief. You see, true worship is being honest with God. So I'm telling you, unload all your feelings. Pour out every emotion. Let God know what's going on inside of you. Job said, I'm not keeping one bit of this quiet. I'm laying it all out on the table. My complaining to high heaven is bitter but honest. Throughout the book of Job, Job tells God exactly how he feels. In essence, he says things like this, uh, God, what's going on? You know, God, I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do. Why is this happening to me, God? Job doesn't hold anything back. He's honest concerning what he's feeling about the tragic events that have taken place in his life. 
And friends, when you're facing the hard times, the correct response is not to push down your feelings, not to pretend you're not afraid, that you're not hurt, that you're not confused, that you're not angry. The correct response is to be honest with God. You see, we might as well be honest with God because God knows everything we're thinking. He knows every thought that I've ever had, every thought you've ever had. It's a great big theological word for this called omniscience, all-knowing. So go ahead. Pour out your heart to God. Tell him you don't understand. Tell him you're confused. Tell him you're angry. Tell him you're thinking about throwing in the towel and giving up. It might sound like this. You know, God, I, I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense what I'm going through. You know, I've taught the youth group. I've taught Sunday school. I've worked in the parking lot. I've worked in the cafe. Lord, I've done these things for all these years. And this is how you treat me? Use whatever words you need to use to express your feelings about the hard times in your life. Open up and tell God. This is the second thing that Job did, and I believe we should do also. Acknowledge God is in control. The scripture verse in Job 1.21 says, The Lord alone gives and takes. That's complete control. Everything you have has been given to you by God, and God, just like he did with Job, God can remove and take any of it back. God has complete control. It's in the hard times we can see the difference between Christians and non-Christians. Those who say they're followers of Christ and those who aren't. Non-Christians say something like this. You know, no one deserves what I'm going through. And if there is a God, you know, he's either a, a bully, a cosmic killjoy, a powerless weakling to, to stop what's going on in my life, or he's just such a monster. And that's the kind of God I don't want anything to do with. Now, on the flip side of that, Christians try, and I'm going to underline the word try. They try to handle hard times in a different way. They may say things like this. You know, God, I don't understand what I'm going through. It's painful. It hurts. But I have faith, God, to believe in your sovereign plan for my life. I know that someday there will be a heaven for me where there's no more crying, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. And until that day, Lord, help me to believe that you and you alone are in control of my life. You see, that's the attitude that Job had. Job didn't understand what was going on in his life. He was experiencing more pain and heartache than he ever had before. Job had a relationship with God that had nothing to do with his circumstances or his possessions or his position in life. Let me say that again. He had a relationship that had nothing to do with the circumstances that are taking place in his life. A relationship that had nothing to do with his possessions, which were vast. Or nothing to do with his position as being one of the premier individuals of his age. 
We need to have this same type of relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And fortunately, I can say to you and I can say to myself, we can have that relationship. Job had a heart that trusted God in the good times and the bad. This kind of trust in God helps us in two ways. Number one, it helps us find meaning in our lives when we experience the hard times. Job grieved, and rightly so. He lost all that most of us are wanting out of life. He lost his family. He lost his career. He lost material blessings. But through all of it, Job realized that the true meaning of life was to have a personal relationship with God. The second kind of trust in God helps us be assured of God's goodness even when bad things happen. Have you ever heard someone say, bad things don't happen to good people? I've never heard him say that because, frankly, it's not true. Job was a good man. The Bible says he was blameless, had complete integrity, and he stayed away from evil. In Job chapter 1, verse 8, God spoke to Satan face to face. And he told him that Job was the finest man on all the earth. We know the story. David and Jeremy just read it to us. And I'm sure you would agree that unbelievably bad things happen to this good man. You see, when we say we trust in God, we are proclaiming that God is good. You're not going to trust in something that's bad and going to hurt you. We say that based on what the Bible tells us and on our own personal experience. We may not understand what's going on in our lives or why these things are taking place. But we're to trust God and press on with our life. To help us worship God when the hard times come, we not only, number one, tell God how we feel, and number two, acknowledge that God is in control. We choose to worship by an act of our will in spite of circumstances. You choose to worship in spite of the circumstances. This is not easy. All of us are going to face some hard times and troubles in life. Jesus promised you that. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, In this world you will have what? Trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, I'm glad that God didn't lop off that verse at, In this world you'll have trouble. There it is. Live with it. So what? But Jesus said, take heart, be encouraged. Lays up your chin, whatever. I've overcome the world. I've got the final word and the final say on what happens in your life. Look at what Job said after he learned that he had lost everything. The Lord gave these things to me and he's taken them away. Praise the name of the Lord. 
an act of worship. An act of worship. He chose by his will, in spite of the circumstances, to worship God in the face of horrendous, horrendous suffering and loss. What was the result of these words in verse 21? We're told in verse 22 that in spite of everything, Job did not sin or accuse God of doing wrong. You know, about right now we should say, that away, Job. That away, Job. I find it remarkable that Job worshipped God in spite of everything. And we remember what the everything was. Seven sons killed. Three daughters killed. All his wealth gone. His career gone. A numerous number of employees killed. Total shambles. An unbelievable loss. See, the story of Job is all about one question. Here's the question. Will someone who follows after and serves God continue to worship God if the person faces very hard things in life? Will someone follow after and worship God in spite of the circumstances? How about you? How about me? I already told you 10 years ago that I went through something that in my mind was very horrendous, life-altering. And I'll testify to you today that I did not honor God the way Job did. And I wish I would have had this message in my heart. I wish somebody would have come alongside me and helped me. Because it's not if the hard things in life come, it's when they come. When they come, will we continue to follow God? Will we continue to love and trust Jesus Christ? This is a real test of our faith. And it's a test that will come to us sooner or later. And if it's not come to you, You can be grateful, but I believe with all my heart that you will have it come to you someday. When the bottom falls out and we feel like we're in the deepest pit of our lives, will we still worship and praise God? Well, the fourth thing we must do in those times is turn to God for strength and help. When you've been knocked down and all hell breaks loose against you, sometimes it's hard to know where to turn. And we are tempted to think God has abandoned us and left us on our own. And I think it's a trap that we can fall into of doubting God's care and love for us. We're set up by Satan. Just like he told God, Job will curse you, Job will turn his back on you, he was set up, but he didn't fail. Remember this, if you don't get anything else out of what I say this morning, I just want you to remember this and hold it deep within your soul. In the hard times, 
turn to God. In the hard times, turn to God. Satan wants us to turn away from God, to blame and curse God. As I said, in fact, God, you know, Satan told God, that's exactly what Job would do if bad things happened to Job, if loss came upon him. But what do you think would happen if you reached down and took everything that is his? He'd curse you to your face. That's what. Job passed the test. He didn't blame God. He didn't curse God. If you read on in his story, you'll find that God restored to him all the children, double the wealth. Don't expect that to happen in your life. But God's able to do that. Don't minimize what God can do. Psalm 105 verse 4 says, Look to the Lord and his strength. 1 Chronicles 16.11 says, Go to the Lord for help and what? Worship him continually. God wants to strengthen us when the hard times come. Jesus said, yeah, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. God wants to strengthen us. So how do we get that strength that we so desperately need as followers of God? Where do we get the power we need to handle the crisis of life? And friends, there's only one place, and that's through worship. The power and strength that we need is made available through the worship of the one who is all-powerful. As we pray to God, as we talk to him in the car on the way to work, or in our quiet time at home, as we read the Word, think about God and His goodness, as we sing and, and make a joyful noise unto the Lord, we are worshiping God. All of these things. Finally, to help us worship God in the hard times, we should stay focused on God and His promises. When you go through the hard times, and again, let me emphasize when, it's going to take more than just coming to church on Sunday morning and never giving God another thought till the following Sunday. We're going to need to continually focus on God and His promises. We need to stay in touch with Him, to stay connected to Him. And we can only do this through talking to him and through reading the Bible. These are two practices that have helped God's people throughout the centuries. And they will help us if we'll use them. And if we don't use them, I don't know that God's obligated to help us. There are thousands of promises of God in the Bible. In, first, in 2 Corinthians uh, 1.20, Paul, in talking about Jesus, said this, God has made a great many promises. They are all yes because of what Christ has done. You know, when someone makes you a promise, you kind of check it out and see if they're able to fulfill that promise. See, I could promise all of you a new car in a parking lot. Well, that's the government. I'm sorry. 
And you'd run out there after service and you'd say, where's my keys? But see, I can't fulfill that promise. But Paul said, God has made a lot of promises to you. And they're all fulfilled through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Jesus makes sure all of God's promises are kept. And nothing's going to help us anymore in the hard times. The hard times of life than worshiping God through reading and claiming his promises for our lives. As a young boy, probably up even through high school, I remember my mother had what's called promise box. You ever know what a, you know what a promise box is? Anybody as old as I am? Because I think they still have them. It was a little device, just a little container set on the table, and it had like index weight paper, little slips with scripture verses. You bought them. She didn't fill them out. And so at breakfast or lunch or supper, you could sit down and uh, pull one of those out and read just uh, one or two uh, verses of a promise of God in his word. Promise box. I've got this book that I picked up at a Christian bookstore, and any Christian bookstore would have it. The Bible promises book, just all kinds of promises that correspond to different situations in life. Just neat and concise, and you can go right there. Friends, God wants to help us. I'm going to give you a few promises up here on the screen. Just a few, just a a minuscule amount of the thousands that are in God's word. And you could write down the reference or or not, but God promises forgiveness. Where would we be without that? God promises us eternal life. God promises he will do the impossible. God promises us deliverance from fear. God promises that your needs will be supplied. And let me just uh, cue you in there. It does not say your wants. Your needs will be supplied here in 2009 or 2019. God will take care of his people. God promises us wisdom and peace. When the hard time comes, Satan doesn't want you reading the Bible because he knows if you go into that Bible... He knows God has wonderful promises for you there in that Bible that you can use to defeat Satan in that particular time of your life. When we're focusing on God and reading the Bible, we're empowered. So I challenge you, stay focused on God in your heart and in your mind. Keep connected to God through prayer and Bible reading. And then another thing is very critical. Don't neglect getting together with others who follow Christ. It's a wonderful opportunity here on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock to gather with other people who are here who love Christ. Another wonderful opportunity, and and in some ways there is maybe more help when you get in a small group of 10, 12 people You get to know each other. You pray for each other. You find out the hurts, the heartaches, the pains, the sorrows, the joys. You become so tightly knit with them. But we don't want to forsake or neglect getting together with other people who who serve Jesus and love Jesus. 
Thomas Andrew Dorsey was born in 1899 in Georgia. He was born into a minister's family, and his mother taught him to play the piano at a young age. In the 1920s, he formed a band called the Wildcats Jazz Band. Became quite well known. In fact, I read that they had one record that sold 7 million copies in the 1920s. That's an achievement today, let alone then. He later turned his back on jazz and got involved in gospel music. Became the music leader of two churches in the early 1930s. Life was hard economically for for Thomas Dorsey. But life would get harder for him. In 1932, his wife died giving birth to his baby son. The following day, the baby boy died. Dorsey was so filled with grief uh, that his faith was shaken to the roots. But instead of blaming God and giving up, he turned to the only two things he knew. That was music and his God. And in the midst of the pain and the overwhelming grief, Thomas Dorsey worshipped God by writing the lyrics of one of the most beloved gospel songs in history. I'm just going to give you a few of the lyrics. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, take me home. All of us in this life are going to experience pain, heartache, disappointments. Through the hard times of life, they're going to come on us. Thomas Dorsey knew that the Lord is our most precious resource in those times. And his act of worship in writing the song, Precious Lord, has blessed untold numbers of people as they have pass through times of hardship. See, I believe we can worship our precious Lord in the hard times if we will remember to tell God how we feel, acknowledge that God is in control, worship in spite of circumstances, turn to God for strength and help, stay focused on God and His promises. The world is looking at us those who claim to be followers of Christ, wondering how we will respond to the hard times that we face. And it's my prayer for me and my family, as well as it's my prayer for you and your family, that they will see people of God who will worship and praise Him no matter what comes our way. I'm going to conclude with prayer. The band is going to play that song for us, Precious Lord. It's kind of a new version, but it's really a beautiful version. And as they're playing that song, if anyone's going through a hard time or you have a family member that's going through a hard time, I'm going to come around and stand up front here. I'm going to ask Ann Davis to join me. I'm just invite you to come and we could agree with you in prayer. And if not, 
we count ourselves blessed. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that in the hard times of life, you're there. Lord, sometimes we don't understand. In fact, most of the time we don't. When sorrow and suffering and pain and loss come our way. But Lord, through the life of Job, we can learn the proper response. And Lord, I pray that we will respond in a way that would honor you before the world. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ in this building. And as they leave this place in a few moments, be with them and watch over them. And Lord, those who come for prayer, we thank you in advance for your mighty hand working on behalf of those. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.